With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What are you talking about? One woman. <laughs> That's like saying. There's only one flavor of ice cream for you. Let me tell you something, Ross. There's lots of flavors out there. There's Rocky Road and Cookie Dough and Bing! Cherry Vanilla. You can get them with Jimmy's or Nuts or Whipped Cream. This is the best thing that ever happened to you. You got married. You were like, what, eight? <laughs> Welcome back to the world. Grab a spoon. Chandler's last name was Bing. I just connected that. I didn't notice that until we just listened to that clip. And I mean, it's a fun little Easter That's an egg. Easter egg. That is definitely an Easter egg. Yeah. I mean, and that is where it all began, that clip. Oh, my gosh. Well, there's so much to talk about today with yes. the iconic series, one of the most expensive series to produce, it seems like. <laughs> like, eat your heart out, Game of Thrones. Like, who needs battles when you have, like, uh, you know, casting negotiations? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, let's let's dive right in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to TV Watch Repeat, a podcast brought to you by The Dip. We are two TV lovers who are set to revisit some of the most iconic, memorable, and quite frankly, popular TV pilots of all time. Um, I'm Allison. I am a co-founder of The Dip, and I am joined by The Dip's co-founder extraordinaire, Kate. Extraordinaire. Hello. And today we are talking about the 1994 pilot of Friends, uh, also known as the pilot, the one where Monica gets a roommate, the first one, and the one where it all began. Um it's currently streaming on HBO Max, and before we dive in, we just want to shout out some sources that we'll be referencing throughout the episode. Yeah, so I took a lot from uh, Vanity Fair has a oral history from 2012 that is also uh, a little bit of an adaptation to of a book by a TV executive called Allison Warren Littlefield. <laughs> Oh my God. I was, when I was doing my research and Warren Littlefield showed up, I was screaming. This, this is a throwback like, to Seinfeld episode of our podcast. If you haven't listened yet, like the, the, the Warren Littlefield he kept <laughs> popping up, he kept popping up. But also uh, EW had an oral history as well in 2017. The Emmys had an oral history in 2014. Vulture had an oral history in 2012. Uh, and then EW wrote a few stories back in two, uh, 1995 when it came out that I consulted as well. So uh, anywhere that you went? For other um yeah I just want to I want to shout out um a Matt Lauer interview yes the Matt Lauer interview yes um yeah. which was like a 10-year retrospective for the show um and a really really awesome vulture piece that I wish I would have assigned um at some point in my career which was what the reviews were for the pilot episode of Friends um across the entire landscape of like media, which was a really clever idea. And it was really fun to read. And we will absolutely get into them as we uh, talk about the show. But I do just want to tease one <laughs> because we spoke about this in like previous episodes of like people who are just on the wrong side of history and how like, what are the like, you know, the internet is forever, unfortunately. So like these, these reviews are going to be forever out there that like you hated the pilot of friends and thought it wasn't going to be successful. Um, 
One of those being from Variety, which is the concept is okay, but the <laughs> the humor is less sophisticated than expected from the exact producers of Dream On. This dialogue is not exactly snappy. Um, and LA Times saying the notion of all of these attractive people remaining platonic while flopping around together is a bit far-fetched. It's just really good like foreshadows of what this show is going to become. And I just do want to shout out one more because I don't know how I'll shoehorn it into like any other part of our our conversation today from WAPO. Um, NBC's new Friends sitcom comes across like a 30-minute commercial for Dockers or Ikea or light beer, except it's smuttier. One character says he dreamed he had a telephone for a penis when it rang. Quote, it turns out it's my mother, and this is in the first five minutes. The stars include the cute Courtney Cox, formerly funny David Schwimmer, Lisa Kudrow, Matt LeBlanc, and Matthew Perry. They, they're all nice, and it's sad to see them degrading themselves. Not a mention of Jennifer Aniston and the formerly funny David Schwimmer. I mean, this is like, <laughs> this is an indictment. I mean, that sounds like a Christian monitor review or something. Yeah, that's Washington Post. That's wild. I mean, I, it was risque at the time. I mean, I was not allowed to watch it initially. Um, and I remember that when I finally was able to, I was 13, it was a London episode and I walked in coming in home from dance and my mom is sitting and watching it. And she says, come here, come here, come sit down and watch this. And it was like, is this a trap? Is this a trap? (laughs) Because the whole time I had been like, you know, like everything you heard about friends back then was, you know, it was, you know, about like very, uh, morally loose individuals. I just never thought of friends as risque at all. I mean, it's, well, now you don't, but back then. Well, I was too young for, I was two years old when this came out. So like, I was not to like, I mean, so it for me, it was so like, I saw it when I was older, when I think we've dealt with a lot more scandalous shows by that point. But I almost wonder, and, we'll, and we can get into it right now, is the origin of the show um, is, it, it's coming from a, from a team of uh, two creators and writers, David Crane and Marta Kaufman, who created a show called Dream On, which was on, at the time it was on HBO in the 90s. And so I almost wonder if like it was risque because it's kind of like coming from a team that was maybe producing a show that was more risque, I would assume. I have not seen Dream On, but like HBO, I kind of assume it had a little bit of edge to it. Well, the interesting thing is looking back at, you know, all of this, there's no, there's no mention of of risqueness being the point of the series. You know, so many no. of these things that we've talked about even in the past have been like, it's, it's intending to offend you or it's intending to do something and that wasn't even a, a part of it. So yeah, you know, like let's rewind to the beginning of this and let's take this back to 1994 and what things were like at that time and, and what the networks were looking for and all of that. So now, NBC at the time was pretty much already hot. Like it had, it had cheers. It had Cosby show to LA law, but ABC was actually starting to creep behind it. So, you know, it was, it had hits like, you know, Ellen home improvement, things that were, you know, starting to gain some traction and NBC kind of had to go into this like defense mode and they needed something. And so they had been looking around for a show about 20 somethings that moved to the city. Cause they kind of noticed that this was something that what they were seeing with Gen X, they were going to New York, they were going to LA and, you know, they wanted to represent that and have this nice urban, as they called it, you know, urban mentality, which is so funny because it it couldn't be more, um, you know, whitewashed and and sanitized. But so that's where Marta and uh, and David came in, coming off of Dream On, as you mentioned. They they had done a series that didn't do well before that as well called Family Album. But on top of that, when they were thinking about what to do next, they knew primarily what they didn't want to do. And what they didn't want to do was have a series that was focused on one person because the logistics of making sure that one person was in every single scene drove mm-hmm. them nuts when they were doing a prior series, which I imagine was Dream On, which, you know, was about a single character. Um, so they wanted to do something that incorporated incorporated a bunch of different people. So that's kind of where this idea generated from of wanting to make a series about, you know, single 20 somethings that reflected the existence that they had lived 10 years before. And when they went to go pitch it with NBC, they just had this pitch that basically it was, it's that special time of life when your friends are your family. And when you read about this pitch, it's like that everybody just went like, 
you know, ape shit about it, about this is brilliant. We should, we need to do this. This is, this is perfect. We don't need to see any more. This is great. Which is wild when you think about how many copycats have come from this, that back then that was considered something that was like so amazing and new and different that of course, yes, right away, let's get this on TV now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at the time at that original pitch, it was called Insomnia Cafe. Which was based on the actual cafe. And, and like you said, the, like the log line was, um, it's about sex, love, relationships, careers at a time in your life when everything is possible. And it's about friendship because when you're single in the city, your friends are your family. It seems kind of like derivative of, of like sex in the city at the time. And, but I, it is interesting that, I mean, it is such a simple concept, but you would have thought that they just invite it, like invented sliced bread. Right. Exactly. And people wanted it. And so throughout its, its creation, I just want to shout out some of the names that the show had. Um, Insomnia Cafe being the original idea. Uh, then it moved to Friends Like Us. And then it moved to Six of One. And then eventually they, they wanted to differentiate it from another show that had the title Friends in it, um, where I... Do you have it written down? I actually don't have it written down. No, actually, all, the only one that with friends I have is friends like us. Oh, no, it was called Six of One at one point. Mm-hmm. And then um, they just shortened it to friends, which I think we can all agree worked. But having done enough research for pilots through this podcast in the past, I was really interested in like how labored it felt to get this show created. Mm-hmm. Well, the like, pitch was very easy, right? And then yeah. everything else after that kind of felt like a slog. Yeah. So, you know, they had to like conceptualize the whole thing. And I love the fact when they think about like, well, we can't do it in a bar where they hang out. We can't because that was like, because it's cheers. We can't do it in a diner because that's like Seinfeld. So we have to do it in a coffee shop. Coffee shops are a new cool thing. And I, I just found it funny that like back then, in sitcoms, you needed a place to go, right? Like, like that was so necessary. But yeah, then you have like the the cast and how this all came together, uh, casting wise. They had uh, hired a director, James Burroughs, who's famous for his work on um, Cheers, and as of 2016, had directed a thousand episodes of television. So he was like the big guns that they got in the door because they wanted this to make such a big impact, and everybody wanted to be in this show because not only did they have Burroughs, but because basically it was like the water cooler of the time. So, you know, everybody wanted this thing. So I think probably makes sense to take this like one character at a time because there's so much about each character's casting. There absolutely is. I mean, I guess we could start with the first person who was cast, which was David Schwimmer. Mm -hmm. And he was known most for a role in NYPD Blue where he wears very big glasses. And everyone wanted him as Ross, but he had actually given up on TV because he was tired of the the TV business. Mm-hmm. And then when he heard about who was attached, James Burroughs and all these people, and he really- And the fact that it was an ensemble. And it was an ensemble. He decided that he would give it a shot. And then there was a contract negotiation over an additional $2,500 per episode, which is laughable when you think about what they end up- What they ended up with, yeah. <laughs> That they were hagg- haggling over $2,500. Um, but you know who else was uh, thought for that role as well, though, if he didn't come through? Eric McCormick. Poor Eric McCormick. I mean, he did fine. <laughs> he did fine, but not as fine as he would have. Yeah, I mean, that's like, yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know. I Of course, he isn't like bringing in Friends money, but Will and Grace money is by no means, I mean, he got a reboot. It's not friends money. It's not. Nothing is friends money, though. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they wrote um, the role of Ross with David Schwimmer in mind. Um, And that is it's interesting because then the next person that was cast was actually Lisa Kudrow. Mm -hmm. And she also has kind of a rich history with James Burroughs and the sense that she was fired by him (laughs) on Frasier where she was intended to play Roz and that did not work out because uh you know they felt that they needed somebody who wouldn't seem as steamrolled by Frasier and so um he fired her and then you know then ended up 
you know, being part of the team that hired her for this role. But the weirdness surrounding Lisa Kudrow is that she also was in Mad About You, which aired on the same night on NBC playing Ursula. Ursula. And so I didn't watch Mad About You, but is that inspired by her sister's, her twin sister's name for, for friends? It's it's the exact same character. So Mad About You and friends are in the same universe. So basically what they said is like, She's here at like, you know, I forget exactly what time it was on. Like, let's say Mad About You's on at, you know, 8.30 and she's playing Ursula and then Friends comes on at nine and she's playing Phoebe. That's very confusing for viewers. So they just decided, you know what? We're going to make Phoebe the twin sister of Ursula. Excuse me? Yeah. Hi, it's us. (laughs) Right, and it's me. (laughs) So, So you're here too much as you are your turn uh, we know what we want oh that's good all we want is two cafe lattes and some biscotti cookies good choice i had no idea i yeah, love it's that a pretty creative solve that's uh, like um like bob newhart level inception i love it yeah <laughs> so then lisa easily got that role and so moving on to wait but when- who else was up for that one? Oh, uh ellen Ellen, Kathy Griffin, and Jane Lynch all auditioned for the role, which I can't picture any of them. And in fact, like I, for some reason, I picture all of them older than like I, I'm picturing them like current, <laughs> like Jane Lynch in 2020 <laughs> as Phoebe. And right. I can't picture it. But I mean, I have to understand this is like years and years and years ago. But I, I also I, I don't just... know how much to trust some of those reports, considering that like Ellen was on pretty much the Ellen. same time. So <laughs> it's like, I don't like, I mean, maybe her name was discussed and thrown out there, but she also had her own series. So there's somebody, somebody was in the room saying, wouldn't it, we need like an Ellen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so now that, it's immortalized that Ellen was considered. <laughs> I wonder if like some of those rumors, that's just what it is. If somebody just oh, throws yeah. out a name and somebody wrote it on a piece of paper. It's like some intern was like creating a, a mood board and it yeah. had a photo of Ellen on it. <laughs> and it's like, can you believe she almost had the part? I know. Uh, moving on to Monica. So Courtney Cox was the most famous person in the cast at the time that the cast came together. She was known for Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark music video and also was in Family Ties. So she originally was offered the role of Rachel, but she decided that she wanted Monica. Um, and I, it, what's kind of strange here is that like the way she plays Monica is so different than what that they had imagined. Cause it, in their head, while Marta and David were writing this, they imagined Janine Garofalo. Yeah. And, and it, it's interesting too, because then on the flip side of things, um, Jennifer Aniston was considered for Monica and then obviously landed as Rachel. And I think that like the the way that they play Monica in the pilot, and we'll get into like what their concerns were about Monica. Um, well, we can just talk about it right now. They were concerned that in so in the pilot, Monica meets Paul the wine guy. She goes on a date with Paul the wine guy, and she sleeps with Paul the wine guy, and then Paul the wine guy like dumps her after this. And every the the network, they were all concerned that everyone was going to hate Monica because they thought she was a whore. <laughs> Which is so crazy because the men are talking actively about like going to strip clubs and yeah and all this stuff. No, okay. Why does everyone keep fixating on that? She didn't know. How should I know? Sometimes I wish I was a lesbian. Did I say that out loud? right Ross look you're feeling a lot of pain right now you're angry you're hurting can I tell you what the answer is strip joints <laughs> come on you're single have some hormones and I, I read that ahead of watching it and watching the the pilot I was expecting it to be a little bit more like like leaning in on that, like the raunchiness of it. It's not at all. It's I mean, not it, raunchy it's, at all. It's not raunchy at all. No, so I've seen more on like Boy Meets World. Like it, it was like not at all, but they literally sent out a survey 
to see how the audience felt about her. And they were like, do you feel like she's a whore? Is she a slut? Do you feel bad for her? And I'm like, oh my God, this poor girl. She's <laughs> living her life and had like a bad, like one night stand. Well, she had a great one night stand, but like a bad after effect of it. And, and I was like, they had no trust in women at this time. <laughs> No, I mean, but the audience response was positive, though. Yeah. Said, no, we liked her. She's fine. Yeah, she's fine. They just it's the don't 90s believe. catch up with the 90s. <laughs> I mean, it had to be the like layered T-shirt with the um, floor length like cami dress. That oh, real slutty. So slutty <laughs> with like a like with a jacket tied around the waist. Um, oh my gosh! So then, okay. So moving on to Matt LeBlanc. So. Uh, he was known for Vinny and Bobby and also a Levi, Levi's jean spread. <laughs> and uh, he had some failed series and everything. And then he was called in to read for this role. And he and his uh, friend at the time decided, hey, what do friends do? They go to the bars and drink. So to prepare for the role, he and his friend went to a bar, had a few drinks, and then he ended up falling down and arriving with a giant scab on his face to the audition. And hey, it was a bonding moment and ended up giving him the role. But Joey initially was not supposed to be stupid. And they changed the character when they realized how well he played dumb. And also Matt LeBlanc thought that the script sucked. Like he didn't like the script. And then um, Marta Kaufman actually said that they didn't want him and that he was being shoved down their throats. And then she quote, and this isn't that Matt Lauer article. It was the one favor we had to do, which I was like, holy shit, you guys. Like, Although, is okay, that sarcastic? So I, I, so yeah, so I read that and initially I was like, oh my God, what happened there? Yeah. But considering I was like, he's together, quoted in this article. This is so uncomfortable. Well, all three of them work together after Friends too. And so yeah. like the problem is, is that like, you know, Matt Lauer's medium is a visual one and the article that that survives is not actually the video. So we're reading it. I, my thought is that it's all sarcastic. Okay. Okay. And he also, I will say um, the Joey audition was the grab a spoon scene, um, which made it into the episode and is, he does a great job. He, I would have, I would have hired him too. Even if he was being forced down my throat, I would have been like, whatever. My favorite it. part about the spoon scene, by the way, is when uh, David, Sure, when Ross is responding to it, and he said, Grab a spoon. Do you know how long it's been since I've grabbed a spoon? Do the words Billy, don't be a hero, mean anything to you? <laughs> and I was like, Those, that, no, that means nothing to me. I mean, yeah. Well, I was worried you were about to like put me on the spot where I had to explain what that meant. Well, what do you think? In open response, I have no fucking idea what that means. <laughs> Like, I, I just went through such an adrenaline rush that you were going to ask me what that means. You don't have, like, a guess. Um, no. I mean, it's a I, song by um, either Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods or Paper Lace. You know, I don't know which one. I don't know if they're the two and the same. So um, this made me feel young. Don't be a hero. Don't be a fool with your life. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I, I can't, that one goes right over the head. Um, and then obviously to round it out, we've got, uh, we've got both Jennifer and Matthew, which was like, oh yeah, super complicated with them because they both were attached to different other series. projects. And Jennifer was attached to a CBS series called muddling through, and she was just not available for the role. They mm -hmm. had offered the role of Rachel to Jamie Gertz. And she, when she passed, they basically said, we have Rachel or we have nobody. Um, and, you know, Jennifer was begging Les Moonves to get out of her contract and NBC was convinced that they would green light this shitty show just so they could screw over NBC. But ultimately that didn't happen. And so uh, she was able to join, uh, join the team. And then Matthew Perry was part of a show called LAX 2194. Um, and what Wait, but was... can we talk about what that show was? Go ahead. It sounds fascinating. I mean, I don't know anything about it other than like five words, but it was a television pilot about airport baggage handlers in the future. That sounds great. So in I'm assuming. Yeah, in 2094. I mean, I just want to go back to the fact that like HBO just had a show about uh, like basically spaceship like cruises called Avenue 5. Is that what it was called? Avenue 5, which was fantastic. Here I am not even remembering what it's called. And like, this sounds like it could be that. Like, I almost feel like LAX 2194 should be 
2020, 2021 show. Like that's a, that's a genius concept. It, it, I'm, I'm, I'm sad it didn't happen because I just would have watched that show. 200 years into the future, Ryan Stiles and Kelly Hu are U.S. customs agents in the sci-fi sitcom LAX 2194. I don't know. It sounds like a great show. Obviously, it didn't work, though. Um, he turned down the role for Chandler because of his involvement in that show. Um, but then when the producers of Friends saw the pilot, they they were like, oh, the show is not being picked up. <laughs> um, so he ended up being granted an audition. And um, he wasn't even the first choice, though. The first choice was Craig Bierko. I think yeah. that's how you say it, um, who... I, I think it's what, what I think is really interesting is when you look into the people for all of the shows that we do that, what, who could have been, and then they never really had that moment. Like Craig, I know him. He's been in a lot. He's like, but, he's a well-known face. But I, just to kind of give him maybe like a bit, give you something to hang your hat on listeners. Um, if you watch the show Unreal, he was the like coked up creator of Everlasting um, that like Constance Zimmer's character had a, like a relationship with. He played Chet. Um, so that's like what I know him from most recently. Giving up. You know, when I wanted the show back, you fought me tooth and nail. But now that it's a little weirdo and dick for brains, you're just going to hand it over to them? He's on like Boston Legal and like a bunch of other things. But I can't imagine, like, you talk about how bad it is to be one of the reviewers that say shitty things about friends. Can you imagine being the person who turned down friends? Oh, I know. That's rough. And and especially when nothing huge comes from it after. Like, that's so many beach houses lost. Like so many. Speaking of beach houses, another person that auditioned for the role of Chandler was John Cryer. Um, oh, I didn't know that. And he, but he didn't get his tape to them in time to be considered, which is just like one of those things where I feel like I would, I would physically fly <laughs> to, yeah, versus that's like John, sending it. John Cryer at that time was pretty high profile. Right. So like, wait for the audition tape to get there. Like, I, the fact that they were like, it's not here. And they like shut the door, <laughs> not considered. Uh, but know, I, Chandler was also supposed to be gay initially, or they thought of him. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so like in the pilot, he has a line about Liza Minnelli at the very end. Yes. Would anybody like more coffee? <laughs> Did you make it or are you just serving it? I'm just serving it. Yeah, I'll have a cup of coffee. <laughs> New dream. I'm in Las Vegas. I'm Liza Minnelli. So that's kind of like there are still shades of it that they were trying to like they kept there. But as well, soon as I they mean, cast- if we also debunk the phone penis mom thing, there's a lot there to unpack. <laughs> there's a lot of therapy there that needs to happen. So I'm back in high school, I'm standing in the middle of the cafeteria, and I realize I am totally naked. Oh yeah. Oh, then I look down and I realize there is a phone there. Instead of that's right. All of a sudden the phone starts to ring. And it turns out it's my mother. Which is very, very weird because she never calls me. When once Perry was cast, they decided that they couldn't make him gay for whatever reason. And also, um, I thought it was interesting that Chandler and Phoebe were originally supposed to be more of the peripheral, but part of the core group, but more of the supporting friends. Um, but obviously, when they brought them in, they were like, there's no way that we can, like, everyone's equal. Well, that's and- the thing that's so, like, notable and famous about this cast is just, like, how well they got along. Like, even in the EW article that I mentioned, they were on the set and it was clear that, like, they mentioned, like, there was mutual admiration between all of them. And, like, it all stemmed from the fact that, like, Courtney Cox was the biggest star. But, you know, while everyone thought she was going to come in and be a diva, she basically said, like, you know, I just did Seinfeld. On Seinfeld, everybody gave each other notes to make things funnier, make things better. Like, we're a team here. Like, let's tell me when I'm not funny. Like, tell me when I can do something better. And, you know, said, like, I'm the one who's been on TV, but this is all of us. And that set the tone for all of them just getting to be as close as they were. Yeah. Um, Also, I just want to mention, because we've talked about it in previous podcasts about like 
I think in the How I Met Your Mother one, we we talked about like friend groups and like this is like it's just the master class in having a well mixed group of friends, boys, girls, some in a relationship, some not. And it's just like I think what I always dreamed of, like we have our place to sit all the time where we don't have to like constantly look for a seat. Um, we have, you know, like there's always somebody to hang out with. And I thought it was interesting because when I was reading about it, um, obviously we know the couples that came from the show, uh, but initially, uh, Crane and Kaufman, they thought that the big love interest was supposed to be Joey and Monica. And so that's like, this is long before they wrote the script, but when they were pitching the series, they kept pitching this, this romantic relationship between Joey and Monica, which is funny because it never even, that's one that just never actually happened. Yeah. There's no, <laughs> there's no chance of that ever. So happened. many of them happened except yeah. for that one. <laughs> well, in, in learning about what Matt LeBlanc and his response to basically his character and everything, you know, he did not want to end up being this playboy that would just sleep with every one of the three women. So he asked them early on and said, look, what if I just, I'm the one who doesn't sleep with any of the three women and I'm just the big brother to all of them like how about we just do that and they said great sounds awesome but then but they then had that's to, not <laughs> well they had to keep Ross and Rachel apart because they had more seasons and so they had to eventually put him with Rachel which caused like huge uproar in like the fan community no like even in the in the actual cast oh really um yeah so he said that everyone got defensive when he ended up hooking up with Rachel and his quote was getting defensive he said a quote quote it felt wildly inappropriate and I think that at the time it did like watching it it felt like it felt like you were watching your brother kiss your sister well I'd like to talk about brothers and sisters kissing um well that (laughs) Monica kisses Ross in the pilot. Um, but we, we haven't even talked about the actual episode, but I, I, I understand that. And I mean, I remember like it, it felt kind of, it never felt like a real relationship watching it. Like you're just kind of like, oh, this is like, I don't want to say like a matter of convenience, but like, especially when, when Rachel, has the baby, like, you know, it, it never feels like there's a romance there. It just kind of feels like these are two people who could be partners, but I mean, it was never going to happen. So yeah, was, I mean, I didn't get defensive about it. <laughs> well, the thing that I found, like, I understand you could not keep, you could not put Rachel, Ross and Rachel together at that point, but yeah. I, I don't know why you don't bring back Joshua or you don't bring back like any of like the early boyfriends of Rachel that are not in the core crew rather than have Joe, like it would have worked better to me if it was like Joey helps Rachel raise the baby. Like, sure. That's funny. Like that's a lot of really, but like you don't need to have like the romance aspect to it. It was kind of like a good moment for Joey though, because I think it, you did get to see him in a bit of a different light Mm -hmm. And, and then just being kind of like the dumb actor friend you know, who I think, I think it was nice to see him like on par with all the other players. Right. Um, something that like is interesting because obviously Phoebe similar, similar to her, like she was never, she was never involved in like a interpersonal relationship. And like, I would say her, obviously the biggest relationship she had on the show is, is the one with Paul Rudd. And he kind of like that one, I didn't ever feel was like, on the peripheral because it was Paul Rudd and, and like, they've really, I think like kind of enveloped him into that story. But like, I think if they had brought back like another person, I would have been like, well, when's Joey going to get to like, have some, some time to shine, you know? Sure. Um, Although I would disagree. And I think that actually Hank Azaria was uh, Phoebe's best love interest and most notable one to me like it felt right whereas Paul Rudd felt like everybody loves Paul Rudd let's bring him in and like they'll get stunt casting yeah exactly and I mean Phoebe like had interesting origins too just as a character because she was so different than the other ones and Lisa Kudrow actually thought that she was going to get fired again by James Burroughs because he kept on asking on set while filming the pilot why are they friends with her (laughs) I mean 
her origin to say it's interesting is uh that's a choice because it's so freaking depressing oh about like, the, the like her character's origin yeah the amount of suicide mentioned in like the matter of like two seconds is shocking Thank you. you're welcome i remember when i first came to this city i was 14 my mom had just killed herself and my stepdad was back in prison and i got here and i didn't know anybody and i ended up living with this albino guy who was like cleaning windshields outside port authority and then he killed himself <laughs> and then I found aromatherapy. So believe me, I know exactly how you feel. Like, what is happening? <laughs> People were like up in arms about Monica having a one night stand and, and <laughs> Phoebe's rattling off like, you know, um, like the most tragic story of all. Well, I wonder, there's one, apparently there was a monologue in the pilot that that the director first asked her to deliver under a table to be quirky. And I wonder, and I'm trying to like watching the episode, I was like, that's really the only monologue she has. <laughs> so like one of the, there is a shot out there of her delivering that line underneath the table. <laughs> we should probably talk about the, the concept of the pilot and the, this, the plot which yeah, is pretty I mean, simple. It's, a, it's a pretty simple plot. It's just like, it's basically, you know, setting up the friendship. Rachel leaves Barry, um, you know, meets up all the friends or re-meets, you know, Ross and, Ray, and and Monica, decides to live with Monica. And uh, that's pretty much it. That's it. I, I, I would like to talk about a couple of like the overarching things, which is like, I know, I, I know that it's TV, but I just was so hit in the face and maybe it's because I'm, we don't do anything in public anymore, but the concept is insane to me of just sitting in a coffee shop for hours on end. And I would like to note that like my friend, Tani Garamani published for Bustle in 2015 about like the record, realizing that all along there's a reserve sign at the table in front of the couch. So if you guys haven't read that, I would really recommend Googling it. So they um, have permanent reservations on that, a that permanent area. Permanent reservation. Why they're able to get that. Every but the episode. amount of money that Central Perk must be losing when they're not there by just keeping that couch open. It's a long term uh, investment. They knew how much these people would be worth. It's one a day. long, it's the long. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I, I agree with that in the sense where like Monica has this gigantic house with like really nice like seating areas and everything like why not just hang out there like why go to a cafe also why oh a hundred percent also why um didn't anybody give Rachel a change of clothes she is in her wedding dress for like hours like hours and she's just like making phone calls and I'm just like give her a freaking sweatshirt like someone and nobody does that also I'd like to talk for approximately the next 45 minutes about Joey's hair. I mean, I, I have Joey's hair is out of control as in my it's notes. Out of, control. out of control. That and the vest with no sleeves is, yeah, all, I mean, there's a lot of vests. There's a lot of vests, but there's like a lot of vests. His vest had a vest. Is, is, is most notably vest. Joey, I just wrote, Joey is wearing a sleeveless vest, which is redundant, but accurate. But um, his hair was, is like, it's like a gigantic flop. Yeah, I said it, I described it as like um, a PTA mom who judges you for bringing something store bought. <laughs> like she, he, she, <laughs> he, it, it, it is, it's so bad. And it's just like in his face the whole time. I mean, obviously all of their hair is wild. Phoebe only wears pigtails. Mm -hmm. um, I think like Jennifer Aniston's hair is, I mean, they're all, it's all of the time. So I'm not like offended by it other than. I'm offended by Joey's hair, but there was just a lot of it. It was like very thick and very, it. very voluminous. Yeah. And, I and loved it, all the outfits though. Oh yeah. The outfits are fun. Um, although Except I love for, her like Chandler's like Charlie Sheen, two and a half men shirt. That's like, well, he looks like he's he... poorly dressed or he's like Julie Dreyfus in like friends, like poorly dressed throughout the entire thing. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, but you know, eventually I think like, it, it like there were moments where I was like, oh, I've that would be at Urban Outfitters right now. <laughs> like, oh, no, totally. Monica, all of Monica's outfits like would a hundred percent be something that like you can buy at this moment for like a, a a good markup. What did you think about the very very opening scenes, like the two little vignettes about like Monica's dating life and Chandler's dream? There's nothing to tell. It's just some guy I work with. 
Come on. You're going out with the guy. There's got to be something wrong with him. So does he have a hump? A hump and a hairpiece? Wait, does he eat chalk? Just because I don't want her to go through what I went through with Carl. Um. um, well, I think the dream is, like I said, there's a lot to unpack there. If my friend told me that, I mean, one of my, one of my pastimes is therapizing people. So I would a hundred, well, well, here's the thing. We've talked a lot about dreams on this podcast. Yeah, we're and, not going to talk about Well, yeah, so they opened it with the thing that you hate most. It was when people tell you their dream. It's it's the worst. I mean, it, <laughs> nobody cares about your dream as, as um Dennis says in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and uh, unless there's like I'm in it or somebody's having sex, it's not interesting. And so, <laughs> I mean, for Chandler, there's just like so much to unpack and and especially like you mentioned earlier, like the Liza Minnelli mention of a second dream, but um, other than- it was it was it was thought to be like something different at the time that they opened with them sort of essentially talking about nothing as and that's why I got so many Seinfeld comparisons. Mm. It's like it was just basically like they're not talking about anything interesting or whatever. I mean, I, the thing that annoyed me about it most was that like, I'm a very firm believer in the rule of three. And it was like, here are two. You want that third. And that's it. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I want something else that helps me get, to get to know them a little bit more. But um, so I found that like a little frustrating, but, um, but yeah, I found it so weird that that's like, it, it was a, to the extent that people were turned off by people talking about nothing, I can't imagine them watching back then like the office or any shows that like are kind of centered on the tedium like more more directly on the tedium not like what's the deal with but just like real tedium yeah you just kind of like get thrown right into to a conversation between friends who you don't know um also something i i should mention is for the pilot when they were recording it when they filmed it they gave the audience the the script so they could follow along oh Again, really like, they had no they had no trust in people they must think people are so stupid and judgmental if they were worried about how people would perceive monica but yeah um they they were so concerned with people not being able to follow along with six different main characters that they got a rundown to read the audience before they filmed there was there was a there was a line that Rachel said that got a big laugh and what I was it? I didn't under I can't remember now off the top of my head I find her so unfunny it's I mean I love Jennifer Anderson she's the best friend that she doesn't know that so she wait do mind. you actually like the show <laughs> um it is comfort food okay so I mean like there there are some episodes that I that are hysterical i mean like the the christmas armadillo episode the leather pants episode oddly the most of the funny things involve ross you ate my sandwich (laughs) it was a simple mistake it could happen to anyone oh really (laughs) did you confuse it with your own turkey sandwich with a moist maker who are you like what friend are you in this in this group um i mean or maybe the question is who do you want to be? Well, yes, are you? <laughs> I have always wanted to be Jennifer Aniston. I drink smart water because she tells me to. I buy a vino because she tells me anything that she wants me to do, I will oh do it. God. So I would like to be Jennifer or to be Rachel, but I, I mean, I don't know. Isn't everybody just sort of a Monica or, you know? No, I don't think so. Really? I mean, I'm I don't think of, so. I guess I'm like really none of them. I don't um, identify with any of them. No, I could. I mean... I mean, I'm neurotic, I guess. So I guess there's a little bit of Monica there, but this is not that interesting. I mean, I worry I'm more of a mix of like Ross and Chandler. You're definitely more of a Chandler. That's for sure. Yeah. I so, thought Chandler's shtick about Paul was so funny. It's so funny. Morning. Morning, Paul. Hello, Paul. Hi, Paul, is it? <laughs> so what I think is crazy when you, for, like when we talk about like reception, of, of the pilot and everything. Yeah. And two things stand out to me. And I kind of want to talk about both of them. But the first one that I want to talk about is the fact that Ross was the breakout character. David Schwimmer was the person who was getting all the roles and getting all the attention. Like, and you would think, you would think it was Jennifer Aniston, right? Based on what happened, like you would think that she's the person 
but it was Ross of all people. And I find it fascinating that it's not Chandler who is so funny in this. And part of me wonders if there is sort of like a generational thing where Chandler kind of vibes more with like a millennial like Jim he's Jim from the office but for friends well and he's like kind of like a walking meme in some ways right he's super sarcastic he's super cynical like you know the the line that he has when he's like well I got to go to work you know if I don't put in those numbers nothing happens the difference you know like kids I gotta get to work if I don't input those numbers doesn't make much of a difference I could see that as a meme. And so I think that there's more of like a, a, you know, watching it back as a millennial, you're like, oh, he's the funny one. He is the character that I love the most. Whereas like a Gen Xer, you know, Ross does sort of vibe, I think, more with that sort of, you know, generational vibe in some way. I just said vibes with the vibe, but like, I don't know how to, to really explain it, but it does feel to me that like, if this were to come out today, that Chandler and Matthew Perry would be the breakout character. Yeah, I agree. And I think that Phoebe would probably be like, I I actually think people would hate Rachel. People hate on like annoying, like Like princessy. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like who, who a comparison is, but like in stuff, like people would call her insufferable. And she kind of is in the pilot. Like there is a line that I swear to God, my eyes, I almost lost them because they rolled so high into my head. She is like, I'm going to, um, when they were talking about jobs and she was like, I'm going to get one of those job things. I'm going to go get one of those job things. <laughs> and I'm like, are you a fucking alien? Like you're in your twenties, which I would like to talk about how old they actually are. Um, you're in your 20s, whether you've worked or not, like you, that's not how you speak. Like that's not how a 20 something year old speaks. Like you know what a job is. You don't have to say one of those job thingies. Like what? Who does yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, Who she's, yeah, she epitomizes privilege and all of that, but. And then she I don't sits know. down after serving them coffee, which is like, I know the whole thing of like, she's horrible. Right. She's <laughs> at, bad at like, her working. Job. But, uh, and to be the other thing I want to talk about about the reception too is that a lot of the reviews that came out, they were stunned by the fact that like, this is a game changer because pretty people are funny. And it's showing (laughs) that you can be pretty and funny. And can you believe that? I, I, I think that that's, that is hysterical because I mean, I guess I don't really know what, like, what are they comparing that to? Like, who were the uggos on TV at the time that were funny? I mean, like, I guess if you look back and like a lot of the sitcom, I mean, like Seinfeld, like Julie B. Dreyfus is gorgeous, gorgeous, and hilarious, but like, you know, the, the guys, like, I mean, everybody, everybody's beautiful in their own way, but you know, there's definitely like, they're not, they're not on the cover of like Playgirl or anything. Right. You know, so it's are, were they on the cover of Playgirl? <laughs> They're more likely to I would, be. I would argue that like all of them are an acquired taste. Like <laughs> that mean to say. Um, like I, I I mean, I'm sorry. I I you've got people who are like like Larry David is a sex symbol. He was on the cover of GQ this year. Like I I, I think that like he would not be known as a sex symbol. I don't in the see 90s. David Schwimmer on Larry David. In the 90s, he would not have been Allison because that was before the internet was what it was. So maybe in some dark circles where nobody went. He was but having now, sex with everyone on Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> sure, but that doesn't mean that he was represented by the media as one of people's sure. sexiest okay, men alive. But like now I could see that happening because we've kind of developed a new you yeah. know, way of judging what beauty actually is, thankfully. I mean, look, I think they're all conventionally attractive, but... Like when it comes to the men, I, again, I think that some are an acquired taste and I'm not going to name names, but I think that like, it's, I, I'm just curious, like what a blast to Jason Alexander, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's swimming on some good royalties. He's feeling yeah, good. Yeah, a hundred percent. I know. I don't feel bad for any of these people. I'm like, oh, you didn't make sexiest people alive. <laughs> So sorry. Considering like all the attention, like it makes it more impressive to me that the cast did like bond together as well as they did. And like, that was actually, that was very, very much on purpose. Cause when they were filming early on, you know, they were told like, 
go into James Burroughs dressing room and sit down and play poker with each other, get to know each other. And even like Matt LeBlanc had a quote in, in one of the oral histories where he said that Lisa Kudrow worked harder on the relationships in the cast than she did with her own marriage. And like, if there was an issue ever with anything, everyone would stop and solve the issue before they would move on with anything else. And Mm. so, and they were also like told to, to, um, you know, weigh in about the script and weigh in about their own storylines. And if you see, there are some like behind the scenes, um, videos that kind of show like the some of like the writers of the the camera people like going up to like Matthew Perry and saying like okay well what would you say like let's Mm -hmm. let's film something where you do this and so it really was like a very collaborative um environment but um and I think that kind of set the stone for all of these contract negotiations yeah it 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 is hard for me to like argue any of the concept of this show because of the success that it faced or it, it, it found. But I do really like one thing that really stuck out to me is, and I hate being like, oh, friends is unrealistic, but like they go to work. We don't, we see, we see Monica at work for one conversation, one very abrupt conversation when she finds out that Paul the wine guy is pulling the whole, like, I haven't been able to have sex in two years thing with everyone. And then she's back at the coffee shop. It's still light out. Like, is it not like, isn't it, wouldn't you think it's weird if like you met somebody who only hung out at a coffee shop morning, noon, and night, like they don't go anywhere else. Like they don't go to a bar. Like you said earlier, they don't go to like the person's apartment. Like I I would just be like, Oh my God, they're back. I mean, I wouldn't mind a change of scenery right now. And if I could go to a coffee shop, I would. Yeah. The, I also just want to shout out, like, if you do end up watching the pilot after listening to this or just are doing a rewatch on your own, the pillows on the couch uh, were in, insane. Just quite frankly, insane. One, they, one of them just had the alphabet on it. <laughs> it just said ABCD. It was just the alphabet. The one you know and love was just on a pillow embroidered. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That oh was, yeah, it's next to Monica. And it's like a really awful brown. I mean, there's a lot, the set deck. It's like now, like, again, I hate even bringing it up because people pay pay money to go to pop-ups that recreate Central Perk. So like, what's my argument that it's I mean, they're ugly? not there for the decor. They're not there <laughs> no, because they're, certainly they're like not. for the pillow. They're there for, for the vibe. But should we talk a little bit about the, the contract negotiations? Just because there is one quote that came out of this that I just adore. Please. Um, and so, you know, this has been like very highly covered. So I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, but just to kind of showcase. Wait, did like, they make a lot of money? <laughs> to showcase where they started to where <laughs> they ended up. So initially they were paid about $22,500 per episode. Oh, so wow. before uh, season three, that's when the next contract negotiation cycle came about. And because David Schwimmer was the standout role, he was going to be offered more money than the rest of them because they'd gotten so close. He said, you know what, we should all band together and negotiate this as one. And so therefore, you know, whoever is going to be paid the, the least will be able to be on our level and we could truly be an ensemble from here on mm-hmm. out. And there wouldn't be any sort of like jealousy or anything. And I think it actually did help the cast mm-hmm. in the future. Like I can imagine that if there was like somebody who's getting paid so much more, it would have inevitably end up you know, breaking them apart. Animosity, yeah. Um, so then, you know, they got $75,000 per episode at series three, season three. And then they went up to 85,000 in season four, 100,000 in season five. And then by the last two seasons, seasons nine and 10, they made $1 million per episode. That jump. In the season five negotiations, that's when they took it to the press and they started kind of talking about what they were doing and why they were doing it. And uh, the oral history, I believe it was Vanity Fair's oral history, had a quote just in there randomly from Dick Wolf of Law and Order. The fame. Dick Wolf? The Dick Wolf about this negotiations <laughs> D- moment. Dick Wolf Productions? And he Holy said, cow. and I quote, when they made the Friends deal, the $100,000 a piece per episode deal, I was pretty upset. What I would have done, it was come out the first day, say I was disappointed the cast had chosen to negotiate in the press and that I had unpleasant news that Matt LeBlanc would not be on the show next year. I guarantee you, you would not have gotten to a second name. What does that mean? He cracks the whip, Dick Wolf. When you look at the shows that people ended up making this, like, I mean, one million is, is that like the most anyone's ever made for a show? Um, I don't, I actually looked this up recently. Um, because, I mean, we look at like, 
Modern Family, I think. Well, we had this conversation around uh, Ellen Pompeo and like, she's not even close. Like she, we said she's, she's like $500,000 an episode compared Pennies. to, to the Pennies. 1 million. Yeah. So, um, no, so the biggest now is Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon for the At morning show. show. Yeah. But beyond, but below that was Charlie Sheen on two and a half men with 2 million an episode. Oh my God. Which <laughs> that one blows crazy. my mind, honestly, because I understand that like advertisers, advertisers want to be next to Jennifer Aniston and, Who and everything. Who the hell wanted Charlie Sheen. Exactly. Like, I feel like that's gotta, that's gotta hurt your, your cause more than anything else. Unless you're a stripper at Thanksgiving, no one was trying to be next to Charlie Sheen. That's a Beverly Hills deep cut. If you didn't get it. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills deep cut. Well, speaking of Kelsey Guerrero also got two, two 2.1. For Frasier? Mm-hmm. And that's like a long oh, one time. Point, ago. Is, is it inflation? Sorry, so oh, I, should, okay, I okay. should mention that. That's that's with inflation. But even with inflation, they're all higher than um, uh, the cast of Friends. Even wow. James Gandolfini is higher. Wow. And Game of Thrones, but that's obvious. Oh, I'd like to talk about Game of Thrones. So I was I, I read that 22 million people watched this pilot, which is like it was the 15th most watched show the week it aired. Well, it was on must-see Thursday night between Mad About You and Seinfeld. So they they but set that up. 14 other shows got more than 22 million people watching. Just to put that into perspective, there were 13 – let me pull up my stats. 13.6 million people watched the Game of Thrones finale. Yeah, there's more options now. There's more content. I know, but like – It showcases a different way of watching TV. Yeah, I mean, it's so wild. 22 million. I mean, like, some shows that are, like – pretty popular like have been on for seasons are lucky if they can get two million people so well, and the finale just, of friends got 52, 52 million people yep yep and it was the most watched episode of tv of the 2000s i remember watching that like with I my mom secret. i actually i've never watched the finale oh really yeah i've watched most of the series but i think season 10 i never watched um okay i would like to talk about another couple in the um the pilot, like the, I would argue the most romantic scene in the pilot, which is when Ross is going to head out for the night and Monica kisses him on the cheek. That's it. You want to crash on the couch? No, no, I got to go home sometime. You going to be okay? Yeah. (laughs) The tension is palpable. It's it was it's so not bizarre. Sibling esque. It, it was it, not sibling esque. It's, it's very affectionate. Um, uh, June Diane Raphael, uh, actress, podcaster extraordinaire, talks sometimes about her thoughts on like adult sibling relationships and how she thinks that they're just inappropriate if you're super close to your sibling as an adult. Um, and in this moment, I felt that like she kisses him and she's like then he doesn't go anywhere and I'm like what was that <laughs> like give him a big old smooch and then also in that scene I'd like to know why Paul the wine guy why his watch was on the in the middle of the floor of the living room I don't know when how it fell off I mean is the implication that like they were on their way to the bedroom and clothes and accessories Things were flying off, flying off? Oh, I know what line got a really good laugh. Just it was the Hank Monica smiling like she slept with a hanger in yes, her mouth. Yes, I was like, that's not funny. I didn't understand it. I thought it, there was some like weird I, fetish I, thing I, that I was missing. Well, so I thought I was wondering if there was like another like undercurrent, like an uh, undercurrent of like um like a double meaning to it that I didn't understand or something. But yeah, I don't. I was like, is this Chandler's phone that we're referencing? Like. <laughs> It's but I thought that so, the laugh was so large for that one. I can see that. You look like you slept with a hanger in your mouth. I know. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was to compl- I thought I was totally missing the point. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> I did not know what it meant at all. Also, I wrote in my notes, and I already brought it up, but like when Rachel is why did I write this? Oh, I know why. Um, when Rachel is serving them at the end and then she sits down, I wrote, why does Rachel, in all caps, sit down after serving them ice cream? <laughs> why did I write ice cream? Because of that opener, the grab a spoon line. Um, I just and want ice cream. Cherries. Bing- I've got a bunch of fun facts to drop on you. Do it. My fun fact drop. 
Okay. So first of all, this one is probably pretty well known, but friends never shot in New York city. Right. And that fountain is on the Warner brothers lot, even though there are some central park fountains that kind of look like it. And people have tried to recreate the stuff there, but it's not the same. No, Um, it's the cherry Hill one in New York that everyone sits, stands in, in front of everyone thinks that it's, it's so embarrassing. Like, And they tag it friends fountain. And it's like, it's not even close. It looks nothing (laughs) like it. There's no mansion behind it. Where do you think you are? Also a fun fact about that fountain is that it's in Hocus Pocus, which I think everyone had this like come to Jesus moment later on in life, realizing like, no, that fountain's not in New York, but it is in Hocus Pocus. Uh, Also the episode titles are famously the one with, and the reason they did that was so it could help aid the viewers in knowing what episode they were about to watch. It's smart. Um, yeah, um, um, I got more fun facts. Go, <laughs> just lay it on me. Monica and Chandler were only supposed to hook up for one night. Oh wow, who's your favorite couple on the show? I think Monica and Chandler. I, yeah. their their a uh, proposal is like, I don't I don't cry often on TV. While no, watching you TV, actually you and actually abhor it when it happens. But that one, I'm like, I was like, <laughs> oh. The only thing that matters is the you. You make me happier than I ever thought I could be. (laughs) And if you let me, I will spend the rest of my life trying to make you feel the same way. Also, David Schwimmer said he hated the monkey and wished it were dead. Oh, wow. Mm Mm-hmm. He wasn't allowed to to bond with the monkey, so. That I do know. I can't imagine filming with monkeys fun. They also had hard times with the censors because they wanted to make hmm. jokes about things like maxi pads and condoms, and that was not allowed. Um, Justin Timberlake wanted to do the show, but there was no role for him, so he never got to get on the show. That's scathing indictment on Timberlake. <laughs> like, they can't write a role for him? Like, they found one for Bruce Willis. They found one for... I mean, for so many people. Brad yeah. Pitt. I've got one more fun fact. Okay. So the one biggest regret that the creators mentioned is the Diet Coke ad featuring the Friends cast. Have you seen it? No. Just watch it. Oh, the first headline that comes up is um, how Diet Coke almost tanked Friends. So it's promising. Here we go. 1996. Someone stole a Diet Coke from Monica and Rachel's apartment. Look, I don't have an alibi. I was alone that night because I don't have a boyfriend. Is that what you want to hear? I didn't do it. I wasn't even there. Wasn't me. You know what would be nice in here? A couple of candles. Oh, 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 great. Well, I, I didn't take it. <laughs> All right, it was me. I also stole a piece of gum when I was seven, and I cheated on my first book. How much of this do you need? If Rachel is on the bottle cap or game piece, you just want a trip for two to see a live filming of Friends. It's so embarrassing. It, that is every royalty that they are earning after that <laughs> moment that that air, take it back. <laughs> it is weird because you do think about like, I mean, I guess like when I think about like iconic pop culture soda, <laughs> I think of Pepsi, not Coke. Wait, but do you think of like recent Pepsi or like I think about Kendall like Jenner Pepsi or? No, no. I think of like Britney ad. Oh, yeah, yeah. From like the 2000s or like Spice Girl, Pepsi. You don't think of like Fanta? I think of Fanta. Who's hawked Fanta? I don't know. The Fanta dancers? No, no. But like when you have like, like the Spice Girl does a huge Pepsi ad. And yeah, well, I mean, Pepsi's really got to work hard to get people to want to drink Pepsi. The whole like um what's his name? The Pepsi ad with Britney and um Bob Dole. Who? Bob Dole. I don't know if I've seen that commercial. It's when he's like he basically because he he was like known at that era for doing a bunch of Viagra ads. Oh. And so like then there's <laughs> like him and Britney are in it and like he just like I don't know, he like raises his eyebrows or something like that, and it's like implied that like he's got a boner. It's very weird. <laughs> Wow, this has taken a turn. (laughs) That's all my fun facts. I'm out of fun facts. They were fun. Okay, well, look, uh, I think we can just consider. Oh, wait, no, I've got another, I've got another fun fact. We even talked about the song. 
Oh, yeah. By the Rembrandts, which was originally just supposed to be a TV for the song for TV and then became so popular that they wrote it into a actual song to play on the radio. And the lyrics are actually written by Marta and David. Oh, really? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, so the Rembrandts just wrote the music. love Phoebe's songs in the pilot oh yeah and then obviously the more the more well-known uh musical ventures of smelly cat um okay well I would like to just say we should also consider this episode of the podcast the one where we stopped asking questions (laughs) we've gotten some feedback specifically the ones that Kate hates uh (laughs) because what you don't see or hear is the uh, the the hate for some of the questions that we've been asking. Um, but we do want to keep a we do need to have like a one true barometer of pilot success, I think. And I do really believe that 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 rests in the OC. So we will continue. Listeners, do not be alarmed. <laughs> I don't give a shit when you're happy or sad anymore. But I do want to ask you, Kate, how does the Friends pilot compare to the OC pilot? It does not compare at all. The like, OC yeah. is better. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it, I think we're going to just, we, and we've said this before, it's tough when it's like a 22-minute runtime. Like, you just can't get as much good stuff in there. Um, it sets up the show, but like, no. It's just, no. Also, don't be surprised if you hear the questions again in the next episode because of scheduling conflicts. <laughs> we <laughs> yeah, might be I mean, hearing some previous versions later. But that is an Easter egg for you. Uh, <laughs> Dedicated people who stick, at, stick to it the out fans. to the very that's end. FTF for the fans. Next week, we are going to be joining another group of friends. Uh, this time, they're a little bit more nefarious. They're they're getting their noses into some trouble. And of course, I'm talking about the teens of Riverdale. Um, we are going to be revisiting the pilot, the 2017 pilot of Riverdale with some friends, uh, Caitlin Riley and John Patton of the Riverdale Register podcast. So make sure to tune into that. It'll be fun. And we're going to talk about the mysteries. We're going to talk about all of all of the Riverdale thing. So we may as well, we may as well bookend this episode the same way we began it. Wait, wait. Hey, what's with you? I just grabbed a spoon. <laughs> <laughs>